True Crime friends, welcome back to another episode of True Crime in Academia. As always, I am your host, Mary DePippi. First of all, I hope you are all having a wonderful week so far. If not, that really sucks and I hope it gets better for you. Back with me is the beautiful Mandy Bangle. Thank you again so much for joining me I on this series. I'm so excited to be here and see you in your element. This oh. is really awesome. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm just so happy you're here. I know we talked about <laughs> earlier that like I usually when I do this, I'm like by myself and talking to myself, but it is so nice to have someone else to talk to me. It's, it's surreal. And I, I feel like me and you are both, you know, we love true crime and all that comes with it. And you tell stories so beautifully mm-hmm. and you really bring you know, a, a life to the victims. And I absolutely love that about your podcast. I think that that's something that, you know, sets you apart from anyone else. You truly bring the victim to life and actually make them a person to other people. And I, I love that about you. Thank it's amazing. you. Aww. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I mean, it is important because as someone who is a fan of true crime, you, you and I know both just as well, it's so easy to become numb Oh yeah. to... The victims, just because, I mean, I feel like if you are constantly feeling emotions during true crime, or at least when when it becomes not about the puzzle, to me, true crime is like a puzzle that I want to put together and I want to solve it. And I want to know what this crazy picture is. Yeah. And I think that's what makes true crime digestible for a lot of people, because I think they focus on that part. But you know, what comes with that is also forgetting, not really forgetting, but just blocking out that, oh yeah, these are real people that these things occurred to, and this is what happened. And so again, it's just important to make sure that these victims are portrayed as people. And given a a voice, even if they didn't have that at the time, you know? Exactly. Eventually everything comes to the light, I feel like. Exactly. So... Again, we are picking back up with part two of the murder of Meredith Kircher slash the Amanda Knox case. So let's get into Amanda Knox, shall we? I'm ready. Amanda Knox was born on July 9th, 1987 in Seattle, Washington. She was the oldest of three sisters and her mother was a mathematics teacher from Germany and her father was the VP of finance. Amanda describes herself in the documentary as, like, weird and quirky and ridiculous. And what I love, though, in the documentary is that she says, and I was okay with it. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's really special because I feel like a lot of people who are considered, like, weird or quirky don't feel like they're okay with that. Right. Or that it isn't okay to be that way. So the fact that she was just like, and I was okay with it, I was like, yes. I love that that. self-love. Yes. But like Meredith, she also had come from, like, a happy and loving home. She attended the University of Washington, and she states that she felt, like, behind when she started going to college. So she decided that she was going to go study abroad in hopes of finding herself in Italy. It was there where, you know, she would face the hardest time of her life, which, again, so freaking sad. 
I mean, obviously, the irony of Meredith's situation is way worse than Amanda's, but it's still sad, you know? Because, again, she thinks she's going to come and find herself and enjoy herself. And, you know, my sister actually went away for a year. She studied abroad in Belgium. And I remember at first it was difficult for her just adjusting to living in a new country. But once she got that shit figured out, she was thriving. I love that so much. And I feel like that's what, like, that's the type of experience you should have when Especially you go study abroad. in college, when you're finally, like, given your own reins. Like, here, do what you want. Do, do what you think is best. And that's when I think you really discover who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Because you're not, you know, in school. Um, you know, it's, I think, you know, elementary through high school you're you have guidelines you have this you have that when you're in college everything is on you you're not hand fed exactly so and for her to be in another country you know that she got the full experience Mm -hmm. for sure yeah and that is a huge deal again like i mean a lot of people have shell shock from like going from being home to college yeah but again i mean i can't imagine having that going through that experience and then being like oh yeah, let me go to another country. And like you said, like it's like one of the perfect times in your life to really find, like just college in general, um, or just that time period. Because let's face it, you don't have to go to college if you don't want to. There are other things yes. you can do with your life that are just as important and will make you money. So I just want to clarify that. Thank <laughs> you for saying that. <laughs> of course. That's I true, mean, though. I went to college, but I also, before I went to college, I went to a trade school. I went to learn hair. So, I mean, I understand that, you know, I've, I've done both. So I, awesome. I definitely know that just because you didn't go to college doesn't mean you can't get a job that doesn't pay well or isn't like fulfilling, you know, right. you don't have to go to college people. That's what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm totally getting sidetracked from Amanda. But again, she was she was trying to do the things that some people do when they decide to go abroad. And the main thing I was trying to say was, like, if you do that, it should be a wonderful experience once you get past the whole being homesick and you figure out, get your footing in this new place. Right. And even in the videos, like, she looks like she's having a great time. Yeah, she looks free. And yeah. her roommate, I mean, even Meredith. Like, there's one clip they have, I guess, I don't know if it's Amanda taking the video, someone's taking the video, but it looks like they're together. And... She looks happy, you know? So up until Meredith's death, clearly they were, they were thriving and enjoying their lives. And it's just really sad that it had to take such a terrible, horrible turn. After the murder of her roommate, Meredith Kircher, Amanda found herself as the main suspect of her death. The night of Meredith's murder, Amanda and her boyfriend Raphael state that she had stayed the whole night with him after being notified by her boss, Patrick Lumumba, that she didn't need to go into work at his bar. And, I mean, it seemed like they were, she describes the night that they had. It sounded nice. They watched a movie, they smoked a bit, you know, she read to him from a German Harry Potter book, which I thought was really interesting. And then, like, they just hung out, had sex, and fell asleep. I mean... Sounds normal. Yeah. I was going to say, that sounds like... That almost sounds like a normal (laughs) night for me. (laughs) Aside from the German Harry Potter book, because I can't speak German. (laughs) As you can see, as an Italian, I can barely speak Italian. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's by all counts, it sounds normal. And they had the same story. Right. Which uh, we'll get to in just a minute as to how that spirals out of control. Now, last week we discussed her movements the day of November 7th, but just a little recap. After spending the night at Raphael's, she went home and noticed the front door open, but nothing was out of place, so she kind of just brushed it off. So she starts getting ready, she brushes her teeth, she takes a shower, she notices blood droplets on the sink and like a splotch of blood on the bath mat. But again, it's not a lot, so she just figures someone had cut themselves. No big deal, right? It's not until she sees feces in the toilet that she starts to get a bad feeling. So she goes around trying to see if anyone else is home and realizes that Meredith's room is locked. So she gets Raphael. They try to break down the door. It doesn't work. So Raphael calls emergency. They get in. They break the door down and they find her body. Immediately, the prosecutor is convinced that Amanda and Raphael are guilty because they're being super affectionate. And Nick Pisa, the one reporter who's interviewed, who's an asshole, (laughs) much like McNeeny. (laughs) (laughs) which we will explain trust me oh trust me we have thoughts on those Mm. two but yeah so like nick pisa mentions that like at some point she was doing cartwheels and like stretches while she was waiting outside for her house to be processed right i mean i don't know about you but if i found out and was told in a very blunt as a matter of fact way what happened to my roommate and that she was dead have a lot of nervous just pent-up anxious energy that yeah. i would need to get out like and plus around that time you think it's it's november right mm-hmm. it, it's cold outside who mm-hmm. knows how long they were outside just waiting exactly you know you get anxious you you know your your legs might be tired mm-hmm. um a cartwheel might not be the best thing <laughs> but i can't imagine the emotions that she was going through mm-hmm. you know and they should understand you know, I'm sure they see cases similar to this all the time. They should know that everyone takes and handles news differently. You exactly. Know what I, mean? I can't imagine everything that was going on in her mind. Yeah. And again, we will see a lot how the expectations of how she should have reacted versus how she actually reacted come into play. And I mean, y'all know what they say about assuming. So, like, yeah. assuming that people should act a certain way is only going to kick you in the ass. So, That's the truth. You know, I just hated that part, though. Like, really? And I think that guy, he even calls her, like, a weirdo or something like that. He was like, she's insane. It's just yeah. like, she's insane because she's been standing outside for God knows how hours, most likely. I oh, mean, it's yeah. not like it takes 15 minutes to process a crime scene. Exactly. You know? Like, it takes a good amount of time. So... Yeah, I don't I don't find that weird at all. And she probably couldn't leave. Yeah. You know, probably couldn't leave the scene. Probably had to answer questions over and over mm-hmm. and over again. And to me, when I think about Amanda, I feel like her whole life, she was kind of, um, I don't want to say deprived, but kind of sheltered. Mm-hmm. And I feel like something like this is probably the biggest thing that's ever happened in her life. Um, I think everything... You know, growing up, her life was pretty clear cut and she seemed like she had a good life, mm-hmm. you know, but I think the sheltered bit did make her a little naive and a little, um, you know, just different. Yeah, definitely. But that's not always a bad thing, for yeah. sure. Yeah, we're not 
dissing on people like that. No, <laughs> or just, you know, in her situation, it just seems that's what it was. Yeah. Three days after Meredith's murder, Amanda and Raphael's phones were tapped, although it seems like nothing came of it. Yeah. <laughs> Both Amanda and Raphael were aggressively interrogated by police. Amanda states in the documentary that she was smacked on the back of the head twice by an officer and just was overall berated to the point where she was unable to trust her own memory. Raphael confirms this and says he has the same experiences as her and that the officers tried to convince him that Amanda was a liar. They called her a cow and a slut. For what? (laughs) Yeah, for what? And they don't even know these things for sure yet. Why are they immediately off the bat pointing the finger at her when there's not Mm -hmm. enough evidence yet? There's, you know, this just happened and you already have a narrative ready. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's just like, and and I'm not laughing because obviously it's not funny. It's just like, it's fucking frustrating. Oh, yeah. And it's so manipulative, too. Like, if if I had a, a cop that I was trusting to handle this case and you know, listen to my side, but they already point me as guilty and don't want to hear anything I have to say unless it's towards their narrative. That's, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And I don't think physical force was necessary in this case at all. I don't know uh-huh. why. That's awful. <sighs> Horrible. And I mean, I feel like people see Italians as like, like, especially the men as being like the, oh, I, I love to, I love women. I love women. Oh my God. I love women. And they're smacking her around. Yeah. That's not. That's, what the fuck? Uh, I don't get it. I don't understand. Police also gravely misinterpret a text Amanda sent to her boss, Patrick, that night after he told her that she no longer needed to come to work. According to Amanda, she, or at least the intention of her text message was, okay, I'll see you later then. Have a good night. And for whatever reason, the police were convinced that what she wrote implied that she was going to be meeting Patrick later in the evening and that she just must have forgotten about it. Oh my goodness. I guess the <laughs> the slang and different terminologies, I guess, different there and here. Because I know if I see you later, it could be a week from now. Mm-hmm. It could be, you know, and then if she said, have a good night, obviously you're not seeing them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, she's an American in Italy. Right. Why are you expecting her to have, like, the perfect translation of, like, what, you know, what they think she, quote unquote, should have said? Yeah, things are so different there and here, The you know, with everything, with different um you know, slang and and Mm -hmm. verbiage. I mean, even when you learn a different language in school, like technically you're taught what is considered like the quote unquote proper version of that language, which obviously, I mean, if you've ever studied English, hell, you know, we've studied English. I don't speak that way. If I heard someone speak that way, I'd be like, uh, what? So, like, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of elements, like slang, for example, that is so common in, you know, everywhere, in every language that, yeah, for someone who's just learning the language, like, cut her some slack. God damn. It's it's awful. And that's something that's so innocent that just got mm -hmm. immediately pretty much demonized. (laughs) Yeah. And the one thing that I did want to look and I didn't 
have time to or just forgot about it. Actually, yeah, I did forget about it because I remember it just now. I wanted to look up what Italy's policy was on lying to suspects. Because, in case you didn't know, in this country, the United States of America, police are allowed to lie to you in an interrogation. Really? Yeah. Oh, see? No. So, I don't know if that was the same in Italy. Because, again, it's so obvious that they are trying to get them to admit to this narrative that they so wholeheartedly believe. That isn't real. (laughs) There was no... Like you said, there was no evidence to point to her or Raphael. And again, they just wanted to stick to a narrative because it was the narrative they liked. Which, bullshit. It's so sad how power can sometimes get to people's heads. Oh, yes. You know, the people that were supposed to feel the safest around. That's that's very scary. Mm-hmm. So because of the terrible interrogation circumstances, I mean... Not only is she getting berated by them and physically harmed by them, she's also there for long hours on end. So because of this, she's not trusting her own memory. And because they're trying to force this narrative down her throat, she starts to think that she's having a memory. She says that she thinks she remembers seeing the front of Raphael's house, then like a flash of Patrick in his one brown jacket, And she thinks she hears Meredith screaming. So naturally, because she's thinking that she's remembering what had happened, she points to Patrick. So later, police discover a knife, and it wound up testing positive for both Meredith and Amanda's DNA. So at this point, they're like, oh, it's our smoking gun. We have it. It's the murder weapon. It has both their DNA on it. She's guilty. Amanda, Raphael, and Patrick are then arrested for the murder of Meredith Kircher. And Patrick, again, who literally had nothing to do with this, neither did Amanda or Raphael, newsflash. Uh, (laughs) You know, he was released because he had a strong alibi. Which, you know. I'm glad he did because. Yeah, he didn't, again, he he was nowhere near it. (laughs) Literally, no parts of this was he involved. All he did that night was send Amanda a text message that she didn't have to go to work. That's it. That's all he had to do. (laughs) But I think why, or actually I'm sure why, they won't accept Amanda and Raphael's uh, alibis because they suspect them. And they're each other's alibi. That's true. So they're not going to trust their word, but because Patrick has an alibi that's outside of them, they're like, oh yeah, sure. But again, I mean, obviously his alibi was credible because he didn't do it. (laughs) Yeah, and like with these conditions, like I feel like Archer, it's like, do you want false confessions? Because this is how you get false confessions. Exactly. (laughs) And they're doing that themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're they're putting in these almost like false memories and false moments into Amanda's head. And she doesn't know what to say or believe at that point because they have her so, first of all, scared. Mm-hmm. And second of all, just manipulated. It's it's terrible. Exactly. And like that, like there are so many. Honestly, you can do studies if you want um, or look into studies. There's a lot that will tell you that. These types of circumstances that we just laid out, they lead to false confessions. So, 
again, I, just this whole case is just being handled wrong from the get go. Seriously. Yeah. At some point before the trial, police found foreign DNA and fingerprints, including a handprint in blood. Again, this is in Meredith's room. And they realize it all comes from an unknown male. So they are able to find this person, the man, because he had a record for breaking and entering. And his name is Rudy Gaudet. Now, he was originally from the Ivory Coast, which is in West Africa, for anyone who wanted to know, because I suck at geography, and I was just like, the Ivory Coast? Where the fuck is that? <laughs> There's an Ivory Coast? What are you talking like, about? I didn't again, know that either. This is just how terrible I am at geography, but no worries. I found the answer for you guys. <laughs> now, Rudy Gaudet claims that he was with Meredith that night. But he maintained that he didn't kill her, or anyone for that matter. He stated that the night of Meredith's murder, he was coming out of the bathroom when he saw a man who ran out of the house. And when he went back into Meredith's room, he found her bleeding. But then, like the great gentleman he was, fled the scene. <laughs> oh, honey. <laughs> oh, honey. Um... Okay, first of what? all, <laughs> you weren't obviously in the bathroom, I don't think, for that long. Because one, you forgot to flush the toilet, yeah. my man. Two, there's a hand print in your blood and no one else's was found. Like, to me, if your whole hand is going to be in a pool of blood, I feel like you're the closest to the victim. You're mm -hmm. the closest to what happened. You know what happened. And, like, let's just entertain... His narrative for a moment. Say he didn't do it. If your handprint is in blood, you touch the body. Yep. <laughs> but also, if there's a body that you touched, why wouldn't you be the one to call the cops? Why would you leave? Not only why would you leave, but why would you leave a bloody handprint on the goddamn wall? Guilty. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> like... That it just, just doesn't make sense. Like, I understand. Okay, you're scared. But, and maybe it's just, like, my true crime brain. I go, I'm not leaving any stray evidence that could make it look worse than what it was. Right. Because, I mean, had there been his DNA in her room and he had been with her that night, that would make sense. But the handprint in plot, I mean, that is just, like... That's a real smoking gun. Yeah. Not the knife with partial DNA in on it, which room. we'll get no. into. Like, what? What was he? I just don't understand what he was thinking with this story because it's just. I don't. I don't. I have no words. <laughs> oh, that's just. Yeah. Asking to be. <laughs> I'm still kind of living at that. Wow. I, I know. But, I mean, he. Did do one sort of, quote, like, decent thing. At first, anyway. Because they find in a text message that he states that Amanda wasn't even there. Like, he full-on says she was not there. She did not do this. But at his trial, which he chose to have a fast-track trial, which basically meant that he wasn't going to be tried with Amanda and Raphael. Because his lawyer felt that 
if those two went down, he was going down with him. So his best chance of getting off, essentially, was to have Kate have his trial sooner and gotten basically get it out of the way. But at that trial, he changes his story and claims that he saw Amanda's silhouette in the window. But no, you know. <laughs> so wait, she wasn't there or was she? See, like, if you're if you're going back and forth with your own story, you got something to hide. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, though, on October in 2008, Rudy Gaudet was convicted of Meredith's murder and was sentenced to 30 years. But it was later reduced to 16 because of an appeal that was done in December of 2009. Now, as of recent, I actually found an article... He was released last year, last November, November 23rd to be exact. And he didn't actually do his whole sentence. He only served 13 years for killing someone. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that. (sighs) I mean, what? And then I think like, because I remember seeing that as a headline and mm-hmm. being immediately curious like what is going on with this case now yeah and now he's trying to blame her yet again <laughs> and it's like if you did the time clearly like that wasn't like that know? wasn't enough for you right i mean I your story is on from it entirely. yeah it's, yeah just like um amanda and Raphael have they don't want to bring it up. I mean, they don't want it to resurface. I don't blame them. They're like, it's done. We want to be as far away from it as possible. But yet, here's this asshole who, you know, all the evidence points to that he did it. So, it's just like, <laughs> if the shoe fits, dude. You gotta love the, the narcissism here oh, with this God. guy. Yeah. The other thing I want to point out, <laughs> which in the documentary just, like, grossed me out so much... There's a part where McNeeny, the prosecutor for this case, he starts saying that, like, people would come up to him and be like, it was definitely Rudy. It was definitely Rudy. Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, I didn't think that was really fair. But yet it's fair that you and the rest of the police department and now the rest of Italy and Meredith Kircher's family... It's okay to totally just blame Amanda and Raphael the entire time. Right, and not look at the overall picture. Yeah, and not blame this other character. I mean, come on. Like, it's just so hypocritical. It's like, what? I feel like with different cases like this, I feel like pride gets in the way so Mm -hmm. much. And ego. Mm -hmm. Like, that's honestly the main concern. Like, everyone wants to solve a case, Mm -hmm. you know? But if you let your pride and your ego get so involved that there is no, you know, happy ending or, or, you know, actual, you know what I mean? Like you're disregarding real evidence for your own narrative. I think that is so selfish and it's so unfair to the people that are involved in these cases. I think Mm -hmm. it is so disgusting. Yeah. Cause again, even, I mean, Meredith is the main victim here. She is the one who died, but Amanda and Raphael, because of the police and this prosecutor and the media, they also become victims. Right. So we don't want to ignore that aspect of it, but 
you know, I just like to remind everybody that Meredith is the real victim here. victim here. She's the one who lost her life. Another thing about Rudy's trial was that no one talked about it. Yeah, I don't remember hearing anything, to be honest. I think, like, Pisa, the reporter that's on the documentary, he says something like, yeah, we wrote about it, but it wasn't what everyone wanted to read. Which kind of, I mean, at this point, with all of the media surrounding Amanda and everything that had happened, and they, it was like, you know, okay, that's the hot, that's the hot trial. That's the one we want to cover. Yeah. We'll write about this one because it happened. But no one cared about it. Which is hilarious because most likely he was the person who actually did it. So... <laughs> as as a journalist or as someone who's involved in the media, don't you think you want to be known for being credible? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I understand, you know, certain events take, I guess, priority over other ones because of, you know, how they think their reviews are going to be or how, like, interesting a story is. But I would want to be known for telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And if if all you care about is your career and your placement and what people are find more interesting. Yeah. To be honest with you, I don't think going after someone and just pinpointing them and exaggerating and making this entire thing so much worse is a career highlight. I think that is so yeah, sick. Right. You know, like, yeah, I'm known for dragging this person through the dirt. Yeah. Like by all means, if people deserve it, do you do mm -hmm. you that that's that's i support that <laughs> but if if there's actual innocent people and dragging them through the mud for your own story and benefit is something that makes you happy and and makes your career no yeah no this guy is so ass backwards it's yeah. terrible and we will talk about more about the media's role in this case next week Hey, true crime friends, you've heard me talk about my amazing friend Mandy before. She makes the best crochet, pre-cut, and custom home decor for reasonable prices. If you're looking for a one-of-a-kind gift or some new decor to add some new life into your home, look no further. Mandy has got you. I have quite a few items from her, ranging from a crocheted headband to Halloween decor items to my amazing and adorable Coraline ornament. Um, if you guys haven't noticed, I'm like obsessed with Coraline and I just love how Mandy makes it. She's also made me a Coraline doll that sits next to all of my true crime books. To order, just slide in her DMs on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E made it on facebook and instagram once again go to mandy made it on facebook and instagram send her a dm and order today look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do i even say other than hey <sighs> well that's why they're introducing an all-new bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. As always, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of your support. Please don't forget to comment, like, subscribe, follow, heart, all of the things. It really helps us out over here at the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. 
Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. True Crime and Academia is at True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok. The Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Instagram and TikTok. The Ivory Boiler Room on Twitter. And if you just search the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Facebook, you will find us there. Also, please don't forget to join our pa- become a member, become a patron, join our Patreon. We have some really awesome bonus content for you guys. And I would hate for any of you all to miss out. So please go to patreon.com slash the ivory tower boiler room and pick what tier works best for you. We will be back next week with part three. And until then, I will see you all later. True Crime and Academia is an Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast. Members of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room team include Andrew Rimby, Executive Director, Mary DePippi, Chief Contributor, Jaron Usta, Marketing Director, and our interns, Nicola Grullo and Kimberly Dallas. Don't forget to follow us on social media at the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Instagram and TikTok, Ivory Boiler Room on Twitter, And search the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Facebook. You can also find True Crime in Academia on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime in Academia. To support our podcast, please go to patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room and become a patron today to unlock exclusive content. As always, we appreciate your support and thank you for listening.